Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. This is Sandra Beck, and I've got a very, very interesting guest today. We've got Brent Feinberg coming to us from South Africa. Now, Brent wrote a very interesting uh, book and book series, the Freeing Freddy series. And this um, is a very magical story. It's about um, Freddy, who becomes entangled in a spider's web, which symbolizes his fears. And, you know, we live in a very fear-driven, fear-everything global community. You know, you can't turn on anything today and not see something that is fear-based. So teaching our children and teaching ourselves how to better handle our fears so that we can create, you know, the, the, the world that we want to live in and, you know, the dreams that we want to achieve, all these things, you know, we have to face these fears. We have to release our fears. We have to deal with them. We can't just sweep them under the rug. And, this children's book and this series allows this conversation to happen between parents. So I'd like to introduce to you Brett Feinberg. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sandra. Great to be with you today. I have to ask you, this series, um, did it come out of something that struck you as a child? Like, why address fears? So... I work with many different people from all different cultures and backgrounds. And my mom runs a big foundation in South Africa that does education for orphans and vulnerable children. And working with these children that come from very vulnerable and poor backgrounds and working with people from very affluent upbringings, I found that it was common for all these people to have fear, that everybody had fear in their lives and that this fear was the main factor preventing from preventing these people from going forward and creating the life that they wanted. So that was the precipice for the story. So, you know, when you talk about these fears, And I look at my own kids, you know, I have, I'm raising two boys on my own and they're very, very different, Brent, in their fears, but their reactions are the same to clam up, to stop trying to, you know, kind of go under the radar and hide. And I, is that, is that prevalent in, in all children? I know you can't speak on behalf of the entire planet, but, but in your experience, um, Do you think that's the greatest thing that holds our children back from reaching their full potential? Yeah, I think so, in a big way. I find also that in the conversation of fear, we have to bring up the topic of dreams, inner purpose, and passion. Because in order for anyone to want to overcome their fear, they they need a reason to do so. So for me personally and watching others, if 
you had told me I had to overcome my fear to do something I didn't want to be doing anyway. That wouldn't be probable cause for me to want to overcome the fear. So it's important to take people within, connect them with their inner purpose, their passion, and their dream. And from that point, you can say, right, now we can address the fears that are standing in the way. Well, and and when we think about fear, you know, that's like such a huge umbrella. You know, when I was, was preparing for today's show, I looked at like, you know, the top 10 fears of adults. And, you know, they were really prosaic. They're like, you know, public speaking, flying in an airplane. But that's not the fears really that we're talking about here. And then I started delving into, you know, fears that, that children have growing up, you know, and I've seen them in, in my kids, you know, they can arise from an experience and it can be rational or irrational. And, um, it can vary depending on their age or their stage of development or their, their temperament. I've got two kids with very different temperaments, but, the fact that we all have fears and fears, I think, are very natural. I think they're a natural part of growing up. And we don't give our kids, at least we don't here in the States, from what I can see and from growing up here, we don't give our kids the tools to manage fear. Yes, I think the, the very beginning conversation needs to be is that fears are normal. They should not be frowned upon. And they should not, you don't need to hide your fears away. Uh, with When it comes to young boys, uh, often I hear the phrase man up, like don't be scared and just like shove it away, like push it under the carpet. But that's not what needs to happen. The fears need to be spoken of. And I think a more nurturing approach needs to be taken when it comes to fears. And also parents discussing fear, their own personal fears with their children. Uh, growing up as children, we think our parents are superhuman and uh, don't have their own fears or worries in life. And I think by establishing this connection and showing your children that you are vulnerable to and that you are a human being that feels emotions will both better connect you in a relationship as well as give your children emotional intelligence and the ability to understand you and their surroundings, to understand that their peers, their, the students around them when they go to school are also experiencing fears, that a lot of children going to school have fear of being accepted or fear of belonging or being accepted into a social group. Or fear of not being good enough or fear of trying something new. One of the conversations that I have with my kids is, you know, there are real fears and they're kind of like unreal fears. And neither of them is any better or worse. It's just you kind of have different tools to deal with them. Like if you're afraid because you're in a car and the driver's going too fast or the driver might be drunk or the driver's on their phone and not paying attention to the road, that's a very real fear because the outcome could be something very tragic. Now, there's different things that you can do in that fear situation, but the fear is very real and it needs to be honored. 
the fear in our own mind that might be manufactured by a test tomorrow, the fear of what happens if I fail, or you're going to ask a girl to a dance and the fear of rejection, they're also very real, but they're also not the type of fear that can, you know, you're going to end up dead or injured. And so having that conversation, you know, I think is very important. Can you weigh in on the, the different types of fears? Yes, I'm so pleased you brought that up. So I don't, I, personally, I don't like to think of having a healthy sense of danger as fear. I think it's, it's, it's really great to differentiate the two. And having a healthy sense of danger and life preservation, a sense of life preservation, is extremely important. Life is extremely precious, and it's very important to take care of our bodies, our minds, and not put ourselves in dangerous, precarious situations. And if we are put in a situation like that, we should stand up for ourselves and, and try to get out of those situations as quick as possible. That's where the natural fight or flight response comes in. And then when it comes to fears like asking a girl to a dance or having the ability to stand up and speak to an audience even though you you have that feeling that feeling within your body that is telling you to run away um we that's when you know that you are about to overcome something when you have that feeling that if you get to the other side of the the other side of that event, having crossed the threshold of fear, you become greater for that. There, there's no, that's when there's no downside to the risk you're taking. There's only an upside. Well, and I think that's really important. I mean, languaging is so important, Brent. And one of the things that I wrote down, you know, because I didn't have this when I had these conversations with my kids, I'm going to bring this up at, at, at dinner tonight, because that healthy sense of danger, you know, fear is one of these big umbrella words. It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So when we talk about fear or we talk about fears, especially with our kids to say, hey, you know, the healthy sense of danger you know, that to me right there is like worth a million dollars um, to identify the difference between like unreal and real fears um, is such a much better way to put it. But opening the conversation about fear to really little ones is greatly enhanced by reading them your book. I mean, my kids are older now and they still can value from it. But having this as part of a child growing up, you know, like the little engine that could where I think I can and, and, and builds confidence in kids trying and failing and repeating again. This type of book that you've written is as influential, I think, to the understanding and management of our own fears and should be required reading, um, you know, in any school anywhere in the world. So if you care about your kids and teaching some of this and wanting the language to talk to them about and giving them very core concepts that they can hold on to as little ones. Uh, check out Freeing Freddie the Dreamweaver. The author that we're visiting today is Brent Feinberg. Brent, where can people find your book? So Freeing Freddie will be in stores from early November in Barnes and Nobles and on their online website as well as on Amazon.
Excellent, excellent. Um, we're going to be talking more with Brent Feinberg about his book and more importantly, how to use this book in your household to help your children, but also help yourself. Because in the discussion of fears, we can actually become less fear-based. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's words you never heard. Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymist and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? courteous to the officer, and most of all, be honest. It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. This is Sandra Beck, and I am here with author Brent Feinberg of Freeing Freddy the Dreamweaver. One of the things in this book that that I think is the the um, intention, maybe, of why you wrote this book is to build a better environment, to build up our, especially our next generation, to doing things maybe differently on a daily basis. And if collectively we do things differently, we can have better outcomes. And one of the things that kids do really well, Brent, is dream. They all have dreams, at least if they're encouraged to talk to you and encouraged to express themselves and they feel safe and comfortable. I think all kids have dreams, but they some kids stay stuck. And one of the things that keeps not only children stuck, but I think adults stuck is the fear of, of reaching for that dream. Yes, um, definitely. I think a lot of kids do have dreams and many I've come across don't. So the ones that don't, we want to encourage to dream, encourage to connect with their imagination 
and the kids that have been dreaming, we want to encourage them to continue to dreaming as we grow and develop as human beings and we the our understanding of the world broadens and we become more educated in different fields our dreams will naturally change dreams that come from within what we are passionate about might change because of what we learn about ourselves so it's important it's a continuing process to go within dream connect with our own goals and then put put a plan in place to implement it uh, I think the point that you you touched on with creating a better environment is that all people, when they go within themselves or when they dream, they dream of peace, having a peaceful, loving environment for themselves and their family. And that comes to the point of compassion. If we want a peaceful environment for ourselves and our families, we have to develop compassion for ourselves and others. If we interact with our surroundings, with our communities, with the people in our country and in the global environment, with compassion, then we can create peace for ourselves and others. So I want to ask you, you know, we use a lot of words today that may or may not mean something to someone. Like when I hear the word compassion, what does that look like in your world? What does that look like, you know, for children? You know, that's a really big word and it's kind of a high concept. What is compassion to a child? And when we use compassion in your book, you know, the um, it's written on the wall by the big spider in, in, in your book. If your kid looked at you and said, well, what is compassion and what does it look like? You know, tell me about compassion. What would you say? The first word I would use is kindness, is love and kindness. And it's, it's an action, but it's also an understanding. It's, it's about understanding that those around you may also be going through a difficult time and to be easy on them, to be kind, uh, to have awareness, to be able to see if others are going through a challenging time and might be dealing with their own fears, now that your child understands that fear is normal, then they can extend a hand of compassion, extend a kind word. So compassion is about kindness. I think the two go hand in hand. And a loving expression, a peaceful way of being in the world. And maybe a friendly response to someone who, especially another child, who might appear to be hurting, appear to be unfriendly, appear to be unkind. If you teach your kid to respond in kind, you know, now we have like that old analogy of the two blind headline, you know, uh, cars on the road. You've got your brights on. I'm going to put your brights on. Great. Now we're both blind. We can't see each other. What did that solve? Um, and so I think it is about teaching our kids to to respond not react and that's tough you know i've got a great thinker and then i've got a great reactor and um i've seen as my kids age the difference in their ability to slow down a minute before they react because you know when a kid is 
little, I, I think of like elementary school age, and they're confronted with someone who's unkind, they can either, you know, run away and feel hurt. They can bully that person or be unkind back, you know, or they could also, you know, offer that person or that other child, you know, a bit of kindness and then see what happens next. You know, no one's asking us to keep the kids and stay there and, and allow them to be bullied or allow them, you know, keep them to do this. But all three of those require a moment of choice and teaching a kid how to choose their response rather than react. I think it's, it's hard enough for adults, but I think it can be, I think it can be taught to children. Yes, definitely. And that's the whole reason I've created this series for children is because it's about developing awareness. It's about developing understanding that they have choices to how they want to react or respond in situations. And it does take a while to develop this. And most of us come across this information when we're adults. So to perfect it is a lot harder. But if we learn it when we are children and we grow up uh, cognizing or thinking about how do I want to respond? Do I want to be compassionate? If this person isn't being kind or friendly towards me, how can I understand where they're coming from and not engage, possibly take a stance of indifference, move away and just mind my own business? And if children begin to learn these concepts when they're young, they will definitely, by the time they are become adults, they will be able to master them, which is which would be a huge of huge benefit to our society as a whole. Well, and I can see it in my own family, Brent. I can't speak for other people. I can only speak from my own experience. But my older son was raised with his mom kind of reacting to everything and feeling that she had to answer everything. Well, my younger son was introduced to a mother who um, through therapy, through education, through this radio show and talking to experts, you know, I didn't learn till I was 40 that I didn't have to answer back everything that was said to me. <laughs> you know, that, that was something I had to learn at 40. I didn't learn it at 10 or eight or 15 or 25 or 35. And, you know, we all learn things, um, at different times in our life. But if I could have said, taught myself, like gone back in time and taught myself one thing was that you don't have to answer everybody. You don't have to respond to everything. And I look at what happens on social media today and what the kids are exposed to and what how many conversations can be going on at once. You've got an electronic device, you're texting your friends, you're on social media with 25 of your other classmates talking about things. And we do have the conversation at the dinner table because mom has finally learned this, that we don't have to respond to everything. We can ignore something. We can let something go. We can read something on social media or in a text and not respond. And, you know, there's that line between what is good manners and what is being rude, but not responding, I think, is as valuable a response as responding. Yes, definitely. And I think the the line there is that 
if the person's being kind and courteous and well-mannered, then definitely respond to them. It's, it's very rude not to respond to texts or emails if, if there's no harm coming towards your way. If what the person is saying is harmful to you and you choose not to respond, that is very healthy. Well, and that's something we have to learn. You yes, know. definitely, because when someone says something to us and we become all flared up and it, it pushes our buttons and our ego is raised, then we, we feel like we have to defend ourselves. Well, and I think that's the essence of bullying, too, from what I can see with I have an elementary age kid and then I have a kid that's a freshman in high school and my my younger one is my yapper. He loves to fire back with a zinger. And anytime he's in trouble in school, Brett, I can always count on it was something he said. And my older one is like a big Paul Bunyan, you know, silent Sam, you know, kind of big, big, really tall, giant kid for his age. And he's more the look and the, you know, instigator or responder physically. So, um, it doesn't always have to mean the words we say. It can be the physical actions we take. My my 14-year-old Brent is six foot one, 200 pounds of solid muscle with a size 14 foot. So he doesn't have to say many words, but he can respond very clearly just through a look or a gesture or a physical movement. So having these conversations with kids is really important because a response doesn't have to be verbal. Yes, yes, definitely. Do you find, um, and I know we've got to go to commercial break, do you find that people are using your book in this manner to open conversation? Yes, it's a, it's a wonderful way of addressing topics that are so important but aren't spoken about that often. And you brought up the topic of kids being on social media and on on digital platforms constantly. And this is where the book, one of the reasons I wrote the book was to connect parents to their children, teachers to their children, in a way that they can have quality time and deep, meaningful conversations that will help uplift both of them throughout their lives. Well, and especially when it comes out of a book. You know, I will tell you as a parent, you know, if it comes out of mom's mouth, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just mom being mom or, you know, that's just dad. But when you see it in a book, it has a whole different meaning. Now, we're visiting today with Brent Feinberg. He wrote the Freeing Freddy series. You're going to want to look for Freeing Freddy the Dreamweaver. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about another high concept to talk to our kids about, which is intention. And we will be back after the break with Brent Feinberg and his book, Freeing Freddy the Dreamweaver. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. 
It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Scotch tape originate in Scotland? Nope. The popular gift wrapping tape was actually developed right here in the United States. In 1926, the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company, 3M, was being a bit rapacious, trying to save a little scratch or money, and started using a cheaper adhesive on their sticky tape. A Detroit automaker ordered some of this newer, cheaper tape to use for spray painting auto bodies. But the automaker complained because the tape was scotch, a politically incorrect word that meant cheap or stingy. While the tape didn't have the adhesion to satisfy the automaker, it was hardly a Jifu jet. That's an unnecessary thing. It had many other uses, as we all know. So the tape was kept in production, and the name Scotch just stuck. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. This is Sandra, and I'm with Brent Feinberg, and we have to talk about intention. Now, this is a tough one, Brent, because I've tried to talk to my kids, especially my teenager, and he makes these hand gestures like, woo, woo, and he makes fun of me every time I bring up intention. But as somebody who's been successful in life, I know the power of intention. So I think I'm doing something wrong in expressing to them the importance of intention. So we're going to deconstruct intention because it is featured in your book. It is kind of the starting point um, in your book. And it's a great door to open to children so they understand not only what intention is, but the power of intention. Yes. So everything in life, all the actions, all the decisions we make have an intention. Most people aren't fully aware of the intentions behind their actions and behind their words because we speak so quickly without even thinking. But when we take time to review what we've said and our actions, then we can clearly see our intentions. And when it comes to fear and creating the life of our dreams, we need to understand our intentions behind the actions or behind the things we are doing in order to create our goals. And these always need to be pure, honest, and from a good, heartfelt place if we want to create an environment of peace, an environment where we can flourish. 
So what does that look like for a kid? You know, you've got a, a, a fifth grader or an eighth grader and you talk about intention. What do you tell them? So then I bring it down. I break it down to something very simple. So you'd say if they're two people and they, they move towards each other and they go to hug each other, what would be their intention? to convey love, to show that they care for each other, that they're happy to see each other. That's the intention behind the action of hugging someone. And then you would say, what happens if there are two people in a room and they begin fighting, they begin arguing, and the one person starts to shout at the other one, we can even throw in some foul language because sometimes things get really heated, and then we say, what is the intention there? Why, why is the person shouting or using foul language? What is their intention? Uh, their intention might be to convey anger, to, to dominate or overpower the person, to create fear so that they can control the person. Um, so these, these would be other intentions. So you use scenarios that they've seen before that are very basic and then you show how there's there's a reason for the action for the shouting or the hugging so when kids interact with each other and you want to teach them to show that they just want to be a friend like they approach a person to make a new friend would you talk about body language? Would you talk about the tone of your voice? Like how would you, if you wanted to approach somebody to be your friend, what would you do? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good example. Uh, I would say be confident, smile, but smile with a sense of authenticity that you really are genuinely happy inside to be connecting or, or speaking with this person not a false smile, um, say, say kind words, use kind words. Uh, I'm very pleased to meet you. I'm glad, glad to be connected to you. Things like that. Uh, language, as we discussed previously, is very important uh, to convey what we're thinking inside. Well, and I think especially, you know, and I don't know how it is in South Africa. I can only speak on what's going on in the States here. You know, we've got a lot of kids in the lower grades that struggle with social cues. That, and I don't know if it's nature, virtue, digital, you know, being on digital since they were two years old, if they're on the spectrum, whatever it is there's a higher prevalence than when I was a kid. I can go in the classroom and volunteer and be in my kid's school and see that there's a big transition. I also know from my teacher friends that kids are coming in and they've never held a crayon or a pencil, but they take their finger and can draw on a screen. So, you know, we're not here to point fingers or cause blame, but there are some things that we need to do as parents in helping our kids with social skills that we didn't have to in prior generations, whether it's digital related or health related is up to somebody else to figure out. But teaching kids social cues today is more important than ever. Do you see the same thing in your part of the world? Yes, definitely. And I definitely think that 
being on digital platforms constantly or giving your kids an iPad to distract them definitely plays a role in this. And I always encourage people, whether it's an intimate relationship or work relationships, we need to spend quality time and especially spend quality time with children. Children are role modeled of their parents. They are observing everything that you do and and the way you interact with the world. They watch who their parents are as a person. And it's very important to engage with your children, speak to them. Children watch how your parents speak to their peers and the people around them or their spouse. And this is where they, they learn their social cues from. Um, so it's very important to get children away from the screens and engaging with people face to face. Well, and, and Brent, I can share with you and the listeners, when I first got divorced, I had two little kids, you know, they were really little, like three months old and three years old. And so I ended up working and because I'm in technology and I have a tech background. I would work while they were sleeping and I would work a lot at night. And then if they would nap during the day, I'd nap during the day. But I, I became like this kind of weird version of myself for about three, four years where I only interacted through text and email or chat. And since I was in technology working with people around the world and sometimes it was you know, in different languages and different time zones, um, I really lost the ability to have a conversation with a normal human being sitting across like, you know, the coffee shop from me. It, it, it was a skill set that atrophied for me for years. And so when my kids got bigger and they enrolled in school and I was out of my office in my home working in technology and I had to interact with the other moms, the first year was really difficult for me because I had not made eye contact with anybody other than my kids and maybe the babysitter that would come or the grocery store clerk. And I didn't talk about anything for years other than my work because I was, it was, you know, full-time work supporting these two little kids and managing all that. There wasn't room for a social life. There wasn't room for romance. There wasn't room for anything in those days. I was building my company and supporting us. And I realized I lost all of those social cues and they became really weird as an adult to have to work on those to get them back. So if that can happen to me, an educated, articulate woman, it can happen to anybody. Yes, definitely. Especially to a child that's never had those skills to begin with. So teaching eye contact, teaching, you know, like setting that intention. If you go over to that kid and you want to play with them. And it's funny, Brent, because my mom used to do these things that now I recognize why she was doing this. You know, my my little brother and I, he's a NASA rocket scientist and I'm a tech head. You know, she would say, okay, you know, Sandra, put your hand out. Douglas, put your hand out. Look them in the eye, shake their hand and say, hi, I'm Sandra. You know, she had to teach us these social cues. And I don't know if you have to teach every kid that, but from what I see with the digital generation today, that's not a bad start. Yeah, definitely. Definitely engaging, making eye contact showing that you you are there and you're available to interact with the person. 
Because I think people can make, and this is where, you know, compassion comes into play. And I really see the value of having the compassion conversation with the your kids because there are kids on the spectrum or there are kids that were raised in a digital environment and they may not have the social skills that we're typically accustomed to. So do you, and I see this on one of my kids' soccer teams. They've got a couple kids that have some challenges. And, you know, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't diagnose things. I don't know where it comes. But the end result is they don't read social cues well. And so the parents think these kids are aloof. The kids think these kids are stuck up. And I know these kids. I know they're not anything of that but they've read a social situation and not extended kindness to these kids to find out, are they really stuck up or do we just make a value judgment on a set of conditions? Yeah. So I think that comes into the understanding of kindness and compassion. And I I often have to like take a step back and look at my life and realize I'm not the same as everyone out there. Uh, I move around the world and are going to different countries and different cultures and we have different social cues and not all people are going to engage and treat me with kindness but that's okay i can only take care of and be in charge of the way i conduct my own life i'm not responsible for anyone else's life except my own and i think that's a very important thing to teach children be kind, be compassionate. If others aren't, don't worry about them. Who you are as a person will naturally ripple out when people see you being successful in life, having a life filled with peace, love, lots of friends because you are engaging, because you are kind. They will learn from you naturally. You don't need to go out there and force your ways upon other people. We'll be back after the break with more from Brent Feinberg, and we're going to talk about what is yours and not yours in the next segment. Check us out at militarymomtalkradio.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our shows are available on iTunes anytime from 0-100 hours to 23:59. For now, stay right where you are. There's more Military Mom Talk Radio after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We have a book titled The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Vienne in our guest room by the bed. 
I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey lovers, scabber lotchers, and slaughter pooches. To me, the ultimate love lolly is someone who is too lazy to even fake like they're working. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Brent Feinberg, and we are talking about his book, Freeing Freddy, the Dreamweaver, and the big high concepts that are discussed in this book and how we can deconstruct them for not only the children that we raise, but the children that we influence. And the influencers in my children's lives are the baseball coaches, the dance coaches, the teachers, the parents of their friends. I mean, you have every opportunity in the world today to influence kids in a positive manner. But with that comes from some challenges. And one of the challenges, Brent, that I have in my household is I've got, you know, these two boys and then there's me and my 80 year old dad and we all live together. And so we have generational beliefs. We have different beliefs and philosophies. And in my household, we are very free to think and change our mind. And what we thought yesterday can change tomorrow. And that's okay. And that's a good thing. And we spend a lot of time talking about things. Well, in other environments, that might not be so open, welcome, or friendly. And that poses a big challenge um, with my kids because we all want to be liked and we do look for commonality amongst each other when making friends. And, and when we have a lot of blended family issues, which we have a lot here in Los Angeles, and I can't speak on other parts of the world, but we do have that issue here. You've got different ideologies, different belief systems, different practices, and understanding what's yours and what's not yours is one of the things that my kids struggle with. And I'm okay, Brent, you and I could go on a week-long hike and you could say all your opinions under the sun and I will not get upset, I will not try to make you think like I think. You're okay to be your own person, but that's not most people in the world. And giving kids the tools to handle this is really important because when it's safe at home to express your opinion or think things through or talk things through, and then you go into different environments or cultures, which are more restrictive, what do you do with that as a kid? So I think for me personally, and that comes with age, and I don't know if you can convey that to a child, is that your beliefs and your opinions and your ideas on the world, especially if you're pursuing to educate yourself more and more readily, then they are definitely going to change. So don't hold yourself or your opinions in stone because you'll look back in life and think, wow, I can't believe I thought that or that was 
the way I was and look at me now, I've changed so much. So if we can teach our children that we are all equal, we are all equally beautiful and special and to respect others. We do not have to agree with other people. We only have to respect them. And that comes back to compassion and kindness. And respect might be being silent or respect might be moving out of an environment where people disagree with us if we have that available to us. When confronted with someone who has a very different belief system and they challenge you, is that an example of when we need to take a step back and decide, do we want to respond? Do we, how do we want to react? And do we even, you know, is that where you use like that hostility meter? You know, are they trying to hurt me? Like what's the intention here? Um, because right now we have, you know, whether you're arguing over Trump or the NFL, you know, there's so much arguing going on in the United States here. I don't know what's going on over there, but here, you know, it, many people are afraid to say anything because someone's going to jump and criticize them. So when someone does jump to the criticism or jumps to ask you, you know, what do you believe or what do you think? What do you tell your kids? Well, I think that's where having a gauge of whether that person is open to a conversation, if they really want to hear your opinions or if they just want to shut you down and attack you. I always say never enter into an argument because you're not going to change the person's mind. They don't really want to hear what you are saying. They just want to tell you what they believe. They want to tell you their own opinions. And unless you asked for their opinion, uh, you don't really need to hear it unless it's a open, free-flowing conversation where both parties are happy to hear each other's thoughts and ideas. Dan, I think these are great conversations to have with kids today because if you get in the habit as a little one to not react and to choose your responses or to look at somebody and analyze them and say, wow, you know, they really, I don't think they want my opinion. I think they want to fight or I don't think they want to hear my opinion. I think they're just setting me up so they can say their opinion, you know, giving kids those, those filter choices. Um, not that we can think for somebody else, but we certainly can make a better decision than if we didn't have those tools. Yes, for sure. And I think importantly is always to teach kids that it's a learning. So if you engage in an argument and it goes nowhere, don't do it again. Don't continue that pattern. And for them to focus on themselves, dreams and goals in life and our aspirations take a lot of focus and a lot of perseverance and challenges may arise and come up on the way and there's a lot of side noise and opinions on politics and opinions on different things and the news negativity don't watch these things don't focus on these things focus on your own inner beauty your own goals and dreams develop the qualities and 
the, the tools that you need to move forward in your life and naturally you will change and uplift the environment around you. It's important to teach children to focus on the positives, to surround themselves with positive, loving, kind people and for them to know that sometimes in families or in situations, people aren't that way and that's a challenge and we can learn and grow from those challenges and as well as from challenging people. They are there to press our buttons for us to become even more compassionate, even more kind, even more compassionate and kind towards ourselves to not tolerate things that aren't that aren't just or fair or right. So for us to become strong individuals and always to nurture oneself, to ask what is for the, the betterment of my greatest good in knowing that my greatest good will bring peace, compassion, love, pure intentions to those around me and myself. Well, and what I like about, I want to talk a little bit about these workbooks. Um, you've got some workbooks that that are available to help a parent or a coach or a teacher, you know, work along some of these big concepts with kids. And you split them up. So you've got an age 12 and above workbook and then a four to 10 year old workbook, which I think is really important because there's a definite you know, shift in that 10 to 12 year old, you know, that 11 year old can kind of swing vote up or down depending on, you know, his, where he is in his maturity level or her maturity level. Let's talk for a minute about those workbooks. Yes. So the Freeing Freddy, the Dreamweaver story is beautiful. It's inspiring. It's engaging. Yet I found that I didn't want people to just walk away with a wonderful story, even though they will learn very valuable lessons. I wanted to create tools that could be applied to one's life or to apply to a child's life that will integrate these lessons on a deep way. So that's why myself, together with my mom, Kim, we we developed these the workbook that are for teenagers and adults and an activity book for younger children to really delve deep into the topics of what is fear? How do we let go of fear? What are our intentions? How do we create dreams? And what quality do we need to create these dreams in our life? Well, and I think, you know, for most parents, you know, like for me, I'm a working mom and I, I need some help at the end of the day. You know, I need some help for these conversations. And I would be the mom that would sit down and read the Freeing Freddie book with her kids and go, wow, wasn't that a great story? And then, we, you know, we go on to do something else, not realizing that there's really big, you know, like, like soul nutrients in this book that can feed our kids and, and feed ourselves. Um, and so I, I really appreciate that you, you put together these workbooks. So the website is with love from Is there another website people should go to? Yes. No, that's the only website for our books and the workshops and any speaking engagements. If people are interested in contacting us, and then the books are available on Amazon and will be in stores on Barn, in Barnes and Nobles. 
Wonderful. And then we've only got a couple minutes, but do you have, um, you've got also special events on there so people can look to some different special events um, that they might be able to find in their area. Will you guys be touring anytime soon? Yes. So we're starting out in Atlanta and we'll be touring the this region. And in January, later on in January, we'll be in the Los Angeles area and hopefully New York at some point. We, we're planning that all and figuring it out. And those events will be up on our website. Wonderful. So with love from Freddie.com, the book is Freeing Freddie, the Dreamweaver. The author is Brent Feinberg. There's workbooks available. Uh, no promotional fees were paid for this episode. I brought this to you because I think it's a great read. It's wonderful for parents and children alike. I want to thank Brent Feinberg for being my guest today. We'll be back again next week with another great episode. Thanks for tuning in to Military Mom Talk Radio. Want more information? Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on iTunes for more than 200 free episodes. Drop us an email or find us on Facebook. We are looking forward to another great discussion. We hope you'll join us on Military Mom